Well, good morning. Great to be with you today and worshiping both online and in person here. Um, when our daughter was about five years old, she was with her little brother, who was about a year and a half, and she said, I have Jesus in my heart, and Jordan has a little Jesus in his heart. <laughs> and that raises the question for us today. How big is your Jesus? <laughs> How big is your God? Is he big enough to handle all that's going on in the world right now? Is he big enough to handle what's coming in 2021? Or do you just have a little Jesus in your heart so that he's not really big enough, so you have to find someone or something else to trust in to try to get through life because God's not quite big enough, and so you're filled with anxiety and fear. J.B. Phillips, who wrote a wonderful little book a number of years ago called Your God is Too Small, says this, Many men and women today are living with limited faith or no faith in the true God at all. This is not because they're particularly wicked or selfish or, as the old-fashioned would say, godless, but because they have not found with their adult minds a God big enough to account for life, big enough to fit in with the new scientific age, big enough to command their highest admiration and respect and consequently their willing cooperation. How big is your God? We've been studying through the books of First and Second Kings, and just, again, to set the big context of these two books, originally they were one book in, in Hebrew, but we've divided them into two. It's one story, but the books were written during the exile. Israel had been defeated by Babylon, and the people had been taken into exile. Their capital city and their entire nation, actually, had been destroyed. Their temple where they worshiped God had been destroyed. And you can imagine how they felt. Here they are in a foreign land in Babylon where other gods are worshiped. And they had to be asking themselves, is our God, Yahweh, too small? Is he smaller than the God of Babylon? Babylon won the battle, so therefore... Maybe Yahweh, maybe our God, is smaller than Marduk. Do we need to worship those gods too just to cover our bases? They were tempted to think so. And so whoever wrote First and Second Kings wrote it to remind the people in exile in the midst of a crazy world that they lived in that God was a big God. In fact, God was simply working out his plan with the whole exile and all that was going on. God's in control, so you can keep trusting him. In other words, God is big enough to handle whatever is going on in our lives. He is the blessed controller. That's the message that First and Second Kings sent to the people in exile in Israel. But it's the same message we need to hear today, right? Don't we need that message? Is our God big enough to handle the pandemic 
and the political upheaval in our world and the health crises you may be going through, you or your loved ones, and everything else that's going on in our world and in our lives. Is he really big enough for all that? Or do we really need to take things in our own hands? Because he's not quite big enough. He can't quite handle all that. You see, the size of your God, how you understand him and how big he is determines how you handle life. Whether you handle it with peace and faith and trust or whether you handle it with fear and anxiety about what might be coming. So I think every one of us, me included, needs a bigger view of God. We need to see God for who he really is. And so as we study 2 Kings 5, I think it can help us to expand our view of God. So let's pray and we'll look at the text together. Lord, we confess that too often we are afraid, we are anxious because our view of you is just way too small. So by the power of your spirit, may you expand our view of who you are. May we see you more clearly as all, all that you are, as a God who is truly big enough for all that's going on in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three truths that get highlighted through this story of this foreign general Naaman, and I want to highlight those three truths about God. And the first is that God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. It's an amazing story, and David just read part of it. I want to highlight the first verse again. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now notice, this guy is a world leader, really, in one of the most powerful nations around. He is the general of the army. He's the leader. He's powerful. And he says he's a great man and a mighty warrior, well-respected. But notice, even in that one verse, the description of this incredibly powerful political man There are two things that make it really clear he's not in control. (laughs) Notice the first is that it says that he won a great victory for Aram, but it's the Lord who gave him the victory. It's the Lord who's in control of armies and nations and all that. Right from the start, you see that even though from a worldly perspective, he's an incredibly powerful man, he has no power. God is the one who gave him victory, even this foreign general. In fact, he probably gave him victory over Israel. (laughs) And then secondly, notice at the end how it shows he's not in control. Oh, by the way, he was a leper. Now, we've had to practice and continue to having to practice social distancing, right? We've got to stay six feet from each other and wear masks, etc. If you were a leper in those days, you had to stay at least 10 feet from people and you could not approach them at all. You had to stay away because people were afraid that you were contagious and they were going to get it. And so even though he's this powerful man, he had to stay in isolation from other people. <laughs> not quite so powerful and in control, is he? Very clear right from the start. And then he's in this house and 
his wife's servant, this little girl who's been captured. And a little girl is what it says from Israel. It says, oh, that my master could, could meet the prophet from Samaria. Man, he could be healed of his leprosy. I love that. She's never named. She's from a, a biblical perspective, in a sense, for at least from a worldly perspective, a nobody. She's a nobody, not named. And yet, she offers the gift of hope to this mighty general. It's a wonderful encouragement, I think, to speak truth no matter where we are. Even if you feel like a nobody and and you don't get to do anything dramatic for the Lord or whatever, God has placed you right where you are with the people you are with so that you can be an instrument of his to speak truth that might very well change the world, that might have this dramatic impact like it does on Naaman. God might want to use you to change the course of history if you're just willing to speak truth right where God has placed you. So the story goes on in verse 5 through 7. It's kind of humorous, really, you know. Uh, Naaman is used to living in the corridors of power. So, yes, she told me to go to the prophet, but I'm going to go to the king of Samaria, the king of Israel, the nation of Israel, and and say, hey, heal me. (laughs) And, of course, the king, King Jehoram, who's an ungodly king and has no power and isn't even trusting God, freaks out. What's he going to do? Is he trying to pick a quarrel with me? Does he want to fight? And... It's just this humorous picture of fear, and he doesn't know what to do. And he says, am I God? Do I have the power of life and death? And actually, that's a very powerful statement he makes. Isn't that the point of the story? Of course you're not God. Of course no man is. God is God. You're not. Of course you don't have that kind of power. Well, Elisha hears about it. I don't know how he heard, but he heard and he said, hey, of course you can't heal him, Jehoram, but, you know, send him to me. I'll take care of it. (laughs) And so in that part of the story, Elisha calls him to him. But when Naaman comes in all his entourage and his horses and chariots and all of it show up and he's got his gifts and everything and he shows up at Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't even go out to see him. He sends a servant out and says, oh, by the way, uh, would you just go wash in the Jordan seven times and, and you'll be healed? I'm struck by that. Why do you think Elisha did not go out to even talk to him? Why didn't he show up and meet him face to face? Well, I think he did that he, because he wanted to make two points. Number one, he's not the healer. It's not him having some magic ability that, you know, he's going to do this incantation and heal him. He wants to make very clear, it's not him. And the second point, he wants to make very clear, it's God that does the healing. (laughs) It's not him. It's this almighty, all-powerful God. He is just the messenger. And it's a reminder, I think, that what Elisha does is what we should make sure we always do, that We don't take credit for ourselves. We don't point to ourselves. Our job is to point to Jesus, right? 
He's the healer. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who has the power to change lives, to change hearts, to mold us into his likeness. We don't have to do it. It's not up to us. Well, Naaman doesn't like this idea, does he? Verse 11 and following, he's really upset because he doesn't want to wash in this dirty Jordan River. Let me show you a picture of the Jordan River today. Um, And it was probably very similar. Look at how dirty and muddy it is. And it's not very big. It's not that impressive of a river. And Naaman's looking at this. He's seen the Jordan River. And he says, why would I want to wash in this filthy thing? And, you know, don't we have more impressive rivers in Damascus? And this is crazy. And besides, I thought, I thought Elisha was going to come out and he was going to say these magic words. I mean, it's amazing what he says about all that. And he's going to call on the name of his Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Interesting how Naaman is responding, isn't it? He's angry. He's used to be treated with respect, and he wasn't treated with respect, right? He didn't even come out and talk to him. He just said, go wash. And he's really ticked about this. You can't do this to me. (laughs) I'm a powerful man. And notice how he thinks that if God's going to heal him, God should do it in a specific, certain way. He should do it with Elisha coming out and, you know, doing this grand thing, waving his hand, all of that. But don't we do the same with God? We pray and ask God to intervene in a situation in someone's life or in our life or to heal or whatever we ask. And we, and we have in our minds that God should do it in this specific way. And then when he doesn't do what we think he should, we get upset. We get angry with God and feel like, God, you're not answering prayer. Well, maybe he is. In fact, I'm sure he is. But maybe just not in the way that we ask. And maybe he's wanting us to just trust him. You see, we all do this, don't we? (laughs) And one of the things I love about this is in verse 14, it says, so finally he's willing to do it. Here's this mighty general, but, but to his credit, what Naaman does is initially he listened to the little girl from Israel and here his servants say, well, wait a minute, Naaman, if, if he'd asked you to do some mighty thing, you would have done it. So why not just go wash in the Jordan? Why not do it? And to his credit, he listens to the servants. There's enough humility somewhere in Naaman. He's willing to listen even to these servants and do what they suggest. And then in verse 14, it says, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, there's a play on words in this text. From verse 2, it said, a little girl from Israel talked to him, was a servant. Here it says he became like a little boy, exactly the same words in the original language, except one's feminine and one's masculine but it's the same words. In other words, Naaman had to humble himself and become like a child, like the servant girl from Israel, if he was going to be healed. If he'd held on to his pride and kept fighting, no, I'm not going to do that, he would have never been healed. But because he humbled himself, 
before the Almighty God and was willing to listen to these servants, he was healed. You see, God works for those who are willing to humble themselves. We're told over and over in Scripture. Not those who hold on to their pride and, and, and fight for their rights and demand their rights. I'm a great general. I deserve better. He let go of that and was healed. I, and I just want to say I'm really concerned about many of us Christians in our world today that there's an attitude that's not like Jesus because Jesus gave up his rights, Right? Jesus humbled himself. He emptied himself, Philippians 2, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But there's too many Christians today, I think, that are betraying Jesus by demanding our rights, by fighting for what we think we should have in our culture. That is not, brothers and sisters, the way of Jesus. So what has Naaman learned from this healing? Notice verse 15. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, here's what I've learned. I know, what does he know? There is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Yahweh is the all-powerful God over the entire earth. You see, he lived in a culture and in their world where every god, every country had its own god or gods. And you had to, if you went to a country, you had to get to know their gods. But he's made a dramatic discovery here. He's discovered that Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the Christian God, our God, is actually the God over the entire earth, over every nation. He truly is all-powerful. And so Naaman becomes a worshiper of the true God. So think about Israel being in exile in Babylon reading this. It would be a powerful message to them to remind them that no matter how it looks, the truth is that God, Yahweh, is the true God, and he is over all, and he's over what's going on in your life in Babylon, in the craziness of it. You can trust him. And the message to us is the same, right? God is all-powerful. He's big enough to handle this pandemic. He's big enough to handle political upheaval and insurrection. He's big enough to handle a new president whose policies regarding at least abortion and same-sex marriage don't coincide with biblical values. He's big enough to handle that. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to fear. He's big enough to handle the pressures and challenges you and I face in life. He really is all-powerful. But... You know, if you stop there and just realize God's all-powerful, then you may submit to that kind of God because he's all-powerful, but you will not love him. We need to know more. And that's why the next little story helps us understand, part of the story helps us understand that God is not only all-powerful, he is all-gracious, all-loving. Let's look. Verse 15, the end of it says, 
please take a present from your servant now. So Naaman says, I brought all these gifts. I want to give it to you. I've discovered the true God and I want to worship him. And Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. Now, think about that for a minute. Why did Elisha refuse taking payment from Naaman? It didn't seem like that big a deal. He'd done this incredible thing for him. Why did he refuse? Well, again, I think he wanted to keep pointing to the fact that he did not do the healing. God did. He wanted God to get the credit, not himself. And he wanted to make very clear that salvation What had happened in Naaman's life could not be bought, could not be earned. It was completely a gift from the hand of God. And that's something we need to always remember. Salvation and all that he offers us is a gift. So Elisha takes no credit, refuses the gift. And so Naaman, verse 17, notice he says, well, if you want to take the gift, then Please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, only to Yahweh, only to the Lord. And in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, that's their God, the God of Aram, and he leans on any hand, he's talking about being with the king of Aram, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord, pardon your servant in this matter. Now think with me for a minute. What is Naaman doing there? He just said, I'm going to worship the true God. I'm going to commit to worshiping him alone. But remember, he comes from a worldview that says every God is is subject to its own land. and, And he said... Well, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God over the whole earth. But, you know, just in case he's tied to the land, (laughs) I'm going to take two mule loads of earth and move them to Damascus, and I'm going to build a little altar, and that's where where I'll worship him to make sure that I'm, you know, worshiping Yahweh. It's kind of foolish, right? I mean, it's immature. He doesn't understand that God's there. He doesn't have to bring earth. And then he says, and, you know... Can God forgive me if I, I... I won't worship Ramon, but I've got to lean on my master. It's part of my job. And, you know, he's struggling with how do I live this out? And he's not making great choices here in living that out. He doesn't really get it, right? But he's a lot like us where, yeah, I'm going to trust you, God, but I want to make sure I've got my bases covered and I, you know... Make sure I've got everything else in place and, you know, I'm going to do it this way. And, and a lot of times it's just immature or, or superstitious. It's not the way God would have us worship. So how does Elisha respond? Is he going to say, no, Naaman, you have to do it this way and you have to, you know, and don't bring earth because God's, you know. No, notice what he says. He said to him, go in peace. Lock Shalom. (laughs) Go in peace. He doesn't correct him. I'm really struck by that. He doesn't correct him. He doesn't say, oh, you're getting it all wrong. Let me me lay out for you exactly how you should do this Christian life. Let me fix it for you and tell you how to do it. He doesn't do that. He just says, go in peace. 
It's like he trusts Yahweh, he trusts God to work in Naaman's life over time as he learns to walk with him and trust him. He extends grace to him because he understands that God is a God of grace who has met Naaman right where he is in his foolishness and given him life and salvation. It's like he trusts God will get him where he needs to be. And it's, it's a beautiful reminder, I think, to all of us that it's not our job to correct everybody's thinking. If they don't agree with us, if they're, if they're off base. We don't have to get them to understand everything that they need to and to do it all right. In fact, maybe it's more important for us to be like Jesus and extend grace to people. To be like Elisha and extend grace to those around us and understand that it's okay if people are in process. Yes, they need to be moving towards the Lord, but, but that's the only real question. Are they moving towards the Lord? Let's encourage that and give them space to be changed. I'm struck by how often in social media we, we see something, you know, that someone says and it's not quite right and it doesn't fit what we think, so we feel like we have to correct them and attack them and, and we create conflict and disunity when we do so. That's not extending grace. Can we, can we just extend grace? Yeah, maybe they don't have it all right, but I don't have to fix it. I don't have to change them. Can we, using a word that occurs in the New Testament a number of times that's translated forbear, it's an old word. I love that word though. It means to put up with. (laughs) Forbear with one another in the body of Christ. Can we do that? Can we just put up with the fact we're all in process and we don't have it all right and I can easily be wrong too? Can we just admit that and live that way? You see, the message to Israel and to us is that Yahweh, the true God, is a God of grace. He saves this pagan enemy of Israel, Naaman, and he extends grace to him and lets him be in process. Can we do the same with one another? So God is a God of, he's all-powerful and he's all-gracious. But there's one last little bit of the story that helps us know that he is also all-knowing, all-knowing. Let me read verse, 19, verse 20 and following. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared th- this name in the Aramean by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Remember, Elisha wouldn't take anything. But his servant says, Ah, I can get something out of this guy. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is it Shalom? He said, Shalom. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, now, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Gehazi lies in his face, right? It's not true. Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. You asked for one talent of silver, let me give you two. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants and they carried them before him. When he came to the hill, he took them from his hand and deposited them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. He hid them in his house, right? These gifts. 
that he'd essentially stolen from Naaman. When he came to the hill, oh, excuse me, but he went in to the house and he stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? (laughs) And he said, I didn't go anywhere. (laughs) I I didn't go anywhere. Then he said to him, Elisha said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Gehazi thought he could fool Elisha and ultimately fool God, right? (laughs) And get a little something out of this. So he's trying to hide his greedy, selfish, lying act. And if you think about it, Gehazi has a small God. He has a limited view of God. My God is really small, and therefore I've I've got to take whatever I can out of life. I've got to get for myself. I've got to provide for myself. And so here's an opportunity, and I'm going to take it. God's not big enough to meet my needs. I need to do it myself. He's got this, what some have called a a scarcity view of God. That there isn't enough to go around and I got to take what I want. Instead of an abundance view of God, which is God has an overabundance and I can trust him to meet my needs and there will always be enough. And the more I give, the more I receive. Gehazi doesn't have that view. Elisha does. But Gehazi has this view that God is small and I need more for myself. Ray Sedman puts it this way. There are two attitudes toward life that are possible and you can have only one or the other. One attitude is to save your life now. Hoard it, clutch it, cling to it, grasp it, try to get hold of it for yourself, take care of yourself, trust yourself. See that in every situation, your first and major concern is what's in it for me. That's one way to live. And millions are living that way today. The other attitude is lose it. Fling it away. Disregard what advantage there may be for you in a situation and move out in dependence on God, careless of what may happen to you. Gehazi thinks he can get away with this, but the truth is, and what this passage teaches, is God is all-knowing. He sees it all. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He can't be fooled. And he's working out his plan. And in the end, Walter Brueggemann puts it this way, the afflicted one, Naaman, is healed. But the exploitive one, Gehazi, is afflicted. (laughs) God turns it around. So why is it important for Israel and for us to know that God is all-doing? Why is that important? We kind of know that theologically, but why is it important for us today to know that God knows everything? Well, for one, it means that he knows our past. He knows our regrets. He knows our failures. 
He knows how we've messed up. He knows our traumas, our victimizations, our pain, and he understands all that, and he ministers to us in all that, and he died to forgive us in the midst of our sins. And if he's all-knowing, he knows our presence. He knows our present struggles. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows your hurts. He knows what you're feeling. He knows your joys. And he enters into all of that with you as a companion walking through life. And if he's all-knowing, he knows your future. He knows what's going to happen every step of the way in 2021. So we don't have to be afraid, right? Because it's all in his hands. He's all-powerful, he's all-gracious, and he's all-knowing. Therefore, we know it's all, all in his hands. And he also knows all the futile, weak attempts of Satan and his cronies, (laughs) to try to mess up the plan of God. And he's already counteracted it. He's taken care of it. So God is all-powerful. He's all-gracious, and he's all-knowing. So in conclusion, I just want to ask, who are you in the story? Who am I in the story? Are we Naaman? Maybe you're Naaman. Maybe you realize you've trusted way too much in yourself and your God has been way too small, but God's beginning to open your eyes to how big he is. And you can really, really trust him. Maybe you can trust him in 2021 in a way that you never have before. And, and maybe as a Naaman, you can let yourself be in process and not beat yourself up for not having it all together. But are you getting to know him better? Are you a Naaman? Or are you one of the servants, the servant girl, or one of the other servants who are nobodies? They don't have their names in the text, and yet they changed the course of history for Naaman and for many others, I'm convinced. Simply because they were willing to be faithful right where they were and speak truth about God. Or maybe you and I are Elisha. Are we willing to keep pointing others to Jesus rather than to ourselves, to not take credit ourselves, to instead keep pointing to him, exalting him, helping people find healing in him? As Ray Sedman again said, there's no end to the good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. And that's true of Elisha. Is that you? Is that me? And then finally, are you Gehazi? Am I Gehazi? Is our God so small that we need to take care of ourselves first? Work life so we get our needs met rather than trusting him to care for us so we can give our lives away. 1 Kings 5 is there, I believe, to expand our view of God to make him bigger than we've ever seen him before so we can put our trust in him as our all in all as we face whatever is going to come in the days ahead. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I had this hope that 2021 would be different and better and it's 
It's already been a rough couple weeks. <laughs> it's not a lot easier, but God's in it. Can I trust that he is in it? Is he truly all-powerful, all-gracious, and all-knowing? How big is your God? Do you have a big Jesus in your heart? Or do you have a little, little Jesus in your heart? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for how Scripture is so true to life and, and you just reveal yourself in a new way in this passage that is so encouraging. Lord, may our view of you expand in a way that it really changes how we walk through the days ahead. May we see you as the big, big God that you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.